Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. We are tonight's entertainment. Is that good? Yes, sir! I know who I am! Did IQs just drop shot? I could have been. I have planned. I like this All shit. It is a lost will. You know it's Dance off, bro. It is your Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Hello and welcome to Atlantic Screen Connection, episode 7. We're on 7 now, Lee. 7, I know. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> Crazy. for episode 7. Well, I'm Jason, and... I'm Lee. And today we're going to be talking about... Heavy metal. Exactly. We're going to be talking about <laughs> heavy exactly. metal. Exactly, <laughs> the 1980s movie, heavy metal. <laughs> Anyways, so no, today's show is going to be all about... Terminator 2 Judgment Day. How exciting. It's going to be a fun... Yeah, 1991. And uh, I'm the one who's been pushing Lee to do this one because <laughs> it's it's been 25 years. Uh, so how have you been, Lee? How was, how busy is how busy was your week? Uh, pretty busy. Yeah, I, I, went, I had a whole fucking day in the cinema. I've seen three films. I had planned to see four. Other than that, you know, just working through a big party on, on Saturday... Uh, yeah, uh, whatever. <laughs> had a great Sounds time. Like fun. Had a great time with my friends and stuff. But yeah, that's good. And uh, how uh, about you, man? Uh, I've I've taken a break. Actually, I had a very uh, mellow week. Uh, for some reason, the professionals were on strike at uh, the college I work. Yeah. And so I got an extra day off this week. <laughs> yes. And I, I, well, kind of. Yeah, but it, it kind of puts me. I have to catch up on the schedule, uh, yeah, and I, like I get messages from I, the I, students. I, like, I, I, I never, what's going I, on? I never look at the, that side of things. I always look at the yes, as a student, I got a day off. <laughs> I I don't really. I mean, I I'm I'm able to keep up to date. It's just that the students, as soon as they miss one day, they become completely baffled. It's like this is the first time it's ever happened. So you have yeah. to kind of teach them how to live outside of their their school system. And once sure. they're in class, they don't want to be there. So it's always very, very difficult to deal with how they're feeling about that situation. But um, <laughs> I don't know. No, I, it's been great. I mean, I, I managed to sit down and watch Terminator 2 again. Everything else has been really cool. I mean, um, yeah, I've been having a great time so far. Oh, and I want to thank everyone that's tuned in so far. Yeah, Captain fuck. America episode has been doing absolutely awesome. How the uh, how the fuck we managed to hold our own for six weeks in a row is incredible to me. So I mean, yeah, yeah. Thanks and, to everybody who keeps coming back and checking out the fucking show. I know Willy Wonka just went online. And, yeah. Oh God, help us all. <laughs> that's gonna be fun. <laughs> I, I, this is this is how to not have a show is that you follow up like a really like. I don't know. I'll say a defining episode, and the reason the reason for that is that everyone still is talking about Captain America: Civil War, yeah, and then yeah. we were like, you know what? You know what? This what we need to do? Go right yeah. back to fucking the nineteen seventies, and yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, we're gonna just throw Willy Wonka in there, and we'll follow Wink- Willy Wonka up with Terminator Two. Why not? You know? <laughs> yeah, it's like work our way perfect. back to the present. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. So we'll see how that works out yeah, in the end. <laughs> maybe maybe get... next maybe next week we'll do the Matrix. Fucking blow some minds. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, that would be great. I don't know. Ashley Davis just posted something for Phil Faculty on the Running Man, which is oh, yeah, like, okay, right. yeah. Maybe we should just continue on Arnold retrospective. 
<laughs> Fuck, I'd be down for that. I fucking love Arnold films. <laughs> really? Okay. Well, next week we'll try to review Junior. <laughs> anyway, so that brings us to our first segment, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, it's going to be trailer talk. Yeah. So, Lee, what trailers did you see this week? I've seen one trailer, and I, I wanted to put some time aside, just about five minutes, to rant okay. about that single trailer. Uh, I already know that uh, you've seen this exact same trailer. Oh, okay, yeah. I know uh, what you're getting to. It's uh, it's it's the greatest film. It's already best picture of the year. It's Passengers. What? Oh, fucking yeah, yeah. Tilden's Passengers. I just I'm just gonna say that it, um, I think the performances are incredible. I had uh, the score is is wonderful. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure we can call this a defining classic of our time. No one sees Lee's face right now, but I do. <laughs> And his face is saying something else. <laughs> uh, it's uh, September, people. We've seen three minutes of this film. Everyone's uh, losing their fucking minds. <laughs> I think I know why, though. Oh, please enlighten me. <laughs> do you remember Prometheus? Uh, I do, yes. Oh, okay. Now, David Hart, a guy from Pop Culture Case Study, and he said that he felt that audiences had been robbed of seeing a sex scene between Idris Elba and Charlize Theron in Prometheus. He said that Ridley Scott owed us that scene. Now, I, th- I think that Tildum heard David's episode and said, well, we can't get them now. But if we manage to get Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence to bone, then we've got gold on our hands. Yeah, but isn't that just what the movie's going to be? You're not going to get that sex scene. You're going to get that PG fucking sex scene you always get with these kind of films. This is not going to happen the way people envision it if that is truly the reason people are coming to see Passengers. I have no idea. This is the Fifty Shades of Grey that they want. Yeah, well, maybe. Uh, anyway. Uh, did you, what did you take away from it? To me, I saw the, the, sh- the, I saw the trailer and I, I started talking to Amy Awesome, uh, the yeah. girl from Screen Rant, and I said to her, she said, oh, something to get excited about. And I says, really? And I was like, I laughed out loud when I watched this trailer. I was <laughs> And she tweeted back to me and she said, um, should I have watched it with a sound on? I was like, well, I guess. I mean, the dialogue is pretty goddamn bad. But yeah, that's, it was, it was, I that's, my, that's my sticking point. I don't, it's so easy today to have as many wonderful visual effects and settings as you want. It's cool and all. We get uh, Michael Sheen as a robot bartender, whatever, man. What really needs to happen is that when, two people have even snippets of conversation in a trailer they don't sound like fucking robots <laughs> they're literally like what are we doing here i don't know we've got so much exposition to get across so much exposition to get across <laughs> i i i i find it hard to find a reason to be excited for this i was talking to uh as we mentioned last week uh yuche uh well no i read a message from him he he was he just said like i cannot wait for passengers and i was like really you know like why (laughs) give me a reason and his his response was he just he is still in the zone where he just is caught up in the jennifer lawrence hype that was his excuse and admittedly i accept it you know you just like watching jennifer lawrence films fucking hey man by all means (laughs) but uh anybody who's kind of been following uh these these big uh big budget modern blockbusters and 
the, these two particular stars should be as wary as possible when it comes to this film because oh, yeah. it takes very specific directors to get the right performances from these act- actors and uh, it, it, it looks from what we've seen and I mean I, I, it's just as bad to be making this much assumptions on the film as it is to oh, be yeah, I agree. to be immediately saying it's the greatest thing ever. I I I totally agree. I I understand. I'm going way too much into this. Uh, but at the same time, uh, we need to just temper ourselves a little. Okay, let's let's not assume the worst. But if we're going to assume the best, we at least need some evidence. You know, something. And I need somebody to say why. And nobody's saying why. They're just saying it's great. Maybe it's the star par, and maybe that's it. Yeah. I'll agree, and we've already said too much about this fucking movie. And that's it. Anyway, so the tweet that I sent out to Amy Awesome was that I said to her, to me, it looks like two movie stars reading lines in front of a green screen, and then there's a, then there's a Shining reference. And I was, I was, I didn't care. I didn't care what was going on because it looked like so many things that I'd seen before. It looked like there were no stakes either. Um, you know, I was like, oh, look, it's a mix of Event Horizon and Jupiter Ascending. And then after that, there's Moon. And yeah. But I don't know. I For now, like I said, to me, the more I talk about it, the more I see flaws in the trailer. <laughs> and I won't judge the movie according to the trailer, but it didn't really do anything for me. I don't, I don't particularly have, I don't care about these actors in general. I want to see them in anything right now. And if I'm going to see them in something, I want to see them in something that's going to showcase ability and not just star power. Anyway. That concludes our trailer section yeah. this week. <laughs> Enjoy uh, this uh, Passengers trailer. Oh, fuck no. I am not gonna, putting no, on the Passengers. It's going to be the five seconds YouTube version. Nope, not at all, man. I'm going to put on a different trailer altogether. I'm going to find God, one. God, I'm going to mix everyone up. I'm not putting Passengers. They're not going to get me to promote their movie. Uh, they have to do the it break. better. <laughs> see you after the break for uh, what we saw this week. <laughs> The Vampire and Lycan clans have been at war for centuries, turning our world into a battlefield. Are you with me? For me, the fight is personal. Everyone I've ever loved has been hunted down. Now a new war is being waged. This day was bound to come. The Lycans are moving again. They have a new leader, Marius. We must not rest until we have destroyed their final sanctuary. You need Selene. She cannot be trusted. Tell your Marius, I'm not finished with this war. Selene's blood is the key. You will be invincible. As the lichens grow stronger, I fear more blood will be spilled than ever before. We fight for our coven! Impossible.
And so, welcome back. We're going to be talking about the films we watched this week, and I'm going to fire it first to Jason. Jason, what'd you see? I uh, I was lucky, uh, actually, this week. I was able to catch uh, Henri-Georges Clouseau's Les Diaboliques. It's a movie, a French film from 1955. Uh, it's the Quebec Film Festival right here in town. Um, it's not big at all. It looked pretty good, but at the same time... I, they're trying to get their own thing going. I think this is their third or fourth year, and they're slowly starting to get some interesting stuff, but it's not enough for me to get up and really go because they they have all these movies, but none of them are really interesting. Uh, they don't sure. grab my attention or anything like that. And plus, they have uh, a series of films like Quebec films or Quebec-produced films uh, from the last, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 years. And these are movies that I, I don't want to shit on Quebec film, but... The good movies that come out of this place are few and far between. And so even the ones that they were presenting here at the the festival weren't that great. So yeah. lucky me, I was able to catch an old 1955 film that they were actually showing uh, at an outside screening, which was kind of pleasant oh, you know, cool. to, to be able to sit outside in, oh, and I have to say, in highly uncomfortable benches. I had a sore... <laughs> My back was destroyed, man. I was sitting next to one of my buddies and I turned to him during the movie and I was like, motherfucker, are you okay? And he's like, I, my back is killing me. I was like, fuck, this is terrible. Um, <laughs> Jeez. But uh, the overall experience... You win some, I mean, you lose some. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, it, it was free. So that was even better. I mean, wow. to, to be able to sit down and it was the, they had the Criterion Blu-ray playing. So that was even better. So we got a really good quality film. And right. um, it was just so pleasant to be able to watch this on a big screen this is a once in a lifetime thing in my opinion i don't think that i'll be able to, in a position where i'm actually going to be able to see this movie again yeah. uh on a big screen i own it here and i literally went downtown to watch it on a bigger screen amazing yeah Brilliant. and uh it's it's such a good film i had seen it once before and i had loved it uh it's always described as um one of the Hitchcock movies that Hitchcock didn't direct, right, you know, right. in a in the sense that it's a really very uh, elaborate whodunit, and okay. um, it was it was so pleasant. I got to pick up on on larger themes again throughout the movie. The way that Clouseau actually uses water as as a means for good and bad, you know. So right. you have all these religious subtexts that are there. You know, the thing that if they're going to be using it to uh, for baptism, but it's also used to kill someone in the movie. And so you're like, oh, well, look at that. You have that contrast in terms of water meaning life and death, literally, you know, this absolving of the sins, but it's also enabling another sin in a sense, you know. And so uh, it was fun so what, to what, see a director so what's, do that. What's, what's, the general, what's the general outline of the plot? I know nothing about the film. Oh, the film itself is about um, there's a headmaster at a school for young boys right. who... Um, who's married to a woman who owns the school? She well, she had she got it and she inherited it. Right. And um, he, the headmaster, also has a mistress. Now the jealousy between the wife and the mistress culminates in them wanting to kill the headmaster <laughs> in order for him to kind of just fuck off. Uh, sure. And so what happens is that they actually put forth the plan of actually killing this guy. Because they're both angry at him for being duplicitous, they manage to kill him. But once their plan succeeds, the body disappears and they have no idea where the hell it went. Right. And wow. so the whole movie itself is trying to piece together what happened to this guy's body. Yeah, like who knows? And so and I won't. So on. That's pretty exactly. Cool. You know. 
And it's very interesting yeah, right. the way that's, it's that pieced That sounds out. like a Hitchcockian film. Even just oh yeah, definitely. What a great yeah, yeah. concept. <laughs> the, the, the bit of the dialogue is a bit choppy. I mean, it's 1955, so you can clearly see that they're acting. Yeah. There's rear projection when they're when they're, they're driving the cars and things like that. However, these things what never I really bother me. Them, <laughs> well, they, they don't bother me, but I mean, for some people in the audience that are listening right now that might want to see it, I mean, be forewarned: this is a black and white film yeah. with black and white with with techniques from the 50s, right? Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. The, no, that's a good warning yeah. <laughs> makes sense you know i mean you guys accept it in pulp fiction so please accept it here and yeah. so i thought it was uh really fun i i um, hadn't really paid attention to clouseau's camera work uh beforehand uh when i was watching it for the first time and yesterday on the big screen i uh, i noticed just how fantastic the camera work and the editing is especially in the climax during the third act right. uh every single shot composition the uh you you really get um a feeling of of uh i'll, I'll call it terror you get afraid that these people are going to get caught something's going to happen right. someone's just going to show up at one place um and he teases the audience very well i mean you know you'll you'll get instead of seeing a person's face then you'll see a hand or some shoes and yes. you're like who the fuck <laughs> is that you know so he builds the tension as he goes along and it, like i said it was very hitchcockian yeah so clouseau's les diaboliques i watched it downtown i had a fantastic time except for the benches it's a <laughs> movie that i recommend a hundred percent i loved it um and yeah, I might actually give it another whirl in the next month or so, so that I can actually uh, get the dialogue uh, down a little bit more. Because when I was downtown, they're playing on big speakers. People are still chatting in the background and things like that. So yeah. I missed out on a couple of things. But it didn't stop me from having a really good time and getting what the, the whole gist of the movie is. Seems mm-hmm. that I'd seen it before, so it was good. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's just a different atmosphere. Yeah, and so that's it. I didn't watch anything else this week. I took a bit of a break. I'm lining up tonight for uh, watching Doug Stanhope's new comedy special. Oh, so I'm really? looking forward to that. Yeah, oh. he is amazing what he did this week. I, I kind of texted him on uh, on uh, Facebook and I said, because he released it through a, uh, a CISO. And so what happened was that uh, I kind of sent him a message. And I was like, this is only available in the US. You know, I usually get your shows like in Canada and things like that. And uh, so a lot of people were kind of complaining about it. And so what he did is he literally posted on Facebook the link to Pirate Bay. And, <laughs> and he said, I've already been paid. So have at it. Go ahead, guys. Wow. <laughs> And so I was like, all right, well, I mean, fuck it. I just went and I downloaded it, and I'm looking forward to watching it tonight. (laughs) Brilliant, man. (laughs) That's that's, that's for me this week. Uh, How about you, sir? What did you watch? I I seen uh, fucking four films. I seen three films in the cinema, and uh, I seen one film at home. So uh, I'll I'll, I'll do them in order I've seen them, and I'll kind of keep it brief if I can. So uh, I'll start with um, Spotlight, last year's best picture. Oh, yes. I finally watched for the first time. I, you know, I, I'd never, I'd never seen it when everybody was talking about it. So, right, yeah, Spotlight was a, I don't know what, what's to say. You know, it's a well-told story. It's got great performances. It's a, it's a tough real life thing, and it's done at a in a well way. I don't think it's particularly one of those films I would really want to watch again. And I also, yeah, I, while I think it was efficient, I don't think it really utilized cinema as a form that well you know it was i thought it was pretty well straightforward as a as a movie goes and i guess for the subject matter you have to be you can't yeah. fuck you can't fuck around with style and you definitely can't take risks as much because there's a lot of real people and real stakes when you're telling a yeah. story like this 
But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I think this is the best way they could have possibly have told this story. But uh, I think it's one of those films that probably could have worked just as well as maybe a book. I thought it was based on a book. It could have been. I don't know. But uh, it feels like, you know, you, you can imagine these scenes just as well as they shot them. You know, if right. you were told this story, uh, you'd believe it and you'd actually envision it just as clearly as they capture it. It's It prays to them for doing, for capturing it. But I feel like there's there's this lack of um, something that utilizes the cinematic form specifically that really makes it shine in this particular format. Right. So that's it's a it's you know it's obviously an obtuse criticism of a film that does everything right. But I mean it's how I felt when I watched it. I don't feel it's something I have to recommend to people. I feel it's something people do need to know about. Uh, obviously. Uh, it's uh, it's got a great message. It's got a great story, but at the same time, I don't think it's a film. It's necessarily a film you have to see because you could be told it. You could be told the story and take away most of the same information just okay. as well. Yeah. So the book itself is uh, it's, it was winner of the Pulitzer Prize. It's called Betrayal: The Crisis in the Catholic Church, and it's basically the findings of the investigation that inspired spotlight and it says the investigative staff of the boston globe yeah i see i bet that book is far better than this film i bet okay. you i have a feeling it just the, the amount of depth it goes into and the the time it can spend on the subject to really delve into the hard work they put in mm-hmm. uh i bet you that shines more than this adaptation okay. so this was good for what it was but you know what? I'll, wa- I'll, wa- I'll watch it this week and i'll be able to counter uh, anything next week and i'll say look i watched spotlight and i'll be able to corroborate your story that whatnot. great so, yeah yeah uh, I, I, my so, home my homework this week is to watch spotlight that's, finally. yes great good idea because then i, I just yeah. want to, I, I would love a, a second take on that one uh yeah. I, in case, in case sure i'm, I'm fucking it. talking out my ass and i'm going crazy i'm sure you will that's that's the thing i'm gonna I, love it. it i know i will anyway infiltrator the infiltrator with brian cranston is a uh, uh, drug heist, uh, crime infiltration film, uh, and it was crap. <laughs> is he playing Walter White again? No, yeah, he wishes. He's playing a guy pretending to be Walter White. Uh, oh God. Uh, yeah, it's uh, it's a it's a story about a uh, I think he's like an FBI agent who goes undercover as a sort of go between guy between drug dealers and Pablo Escobar. Uh, and he basically uses this to climb up the ladder to try and uh, capture all these drug dealers selling outside of, uh, I think it was Florida. Yeah, it's got a lot of edgy material, a lot of grit, but uh, not a lot of substance, not a lot of direction, some really surprisingly poor or phoned-in performances, and a story that just outright loses you as it goes along. It just cannot hold its own weight it's got such an interesting concept but uh, it just never capitalizes on it in a way that makes it worth your time <laughs> uh yeah it, it it plods on for something like two hours uh i, I mean seriously uh uh and brian cranston is okay in it but if you want a good performance of him playing a drug dealer obviously breaking bads why why bother with this fucking yeah. Waste of time so yeah don't watch infiltrator <laughs> I, I saw i saw the poster and that was enough yeah, yeah, it is enough. You're just like, well, there's, there he is. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well. Anyway, what uh, what else? <laughs> uh, hell or high water. <gasps> oh, I I didn't get a chance, and now it's gone. I have to wait for it's it gone, on video. Man. Uh, yeah, it stayed it, it, here for a fucking week. That's gonna be a long wait. 
<laughs> yeah, I'm so fucking angry. I really wanted to see that thing. Uh, yeah, it's Hell or High Water is a great film. It's got Chris Pine, Ben Foster, his brothers who rob banks in Texas. It's a sort of man against establishment story. Meanwhile, they're being hunted down by Jeff Bridges and his his partner. Uh, yeah, I think it's Gil Birmingham. It's it's just I, I to to go any further really misses the point. It's not the story that matters. It's the characters that matter. It's the it's the little bits that matter. You know, the, the little interactions with their environment, the people who live in Texas, the little stories everybody tells. Those are what make this basically uh, modern uh, Western something more. It is incredible. It's worth everyone's time. It's not a perfect film. It does have a little... It's not a great outlook on the women in the story, unfortunately. And uh, it does get a little... Uh, I won't say preachy, but I'll say uh, pointed without a cause. You know, okay. I, you know it, it gets a little too skewed in favor of the bank robbers by making the, the bankers seem that much more cyn- uh, you know evil. It's a little too cynical. Uh, uh, where it's not needed to be cynical, you know, not enough to 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 really steal from the film. There's a lot of ambiguity, which is great. Uh, that's all I want to say about it. Uh, everybody should see Hell or High Water. If you can't see it because you live in Quebec, <laughs> go see it when it comes out. <laughs> everybody else can see it, but if you live in Quebec, uh, tough luck. Wait, wait for DVD. <laughs> uh, nah, I really wish I could go see it. I'm going to try to see if it, if it's still playing. I'll, I'll definitely try to get to it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. I definitely want to see it. You mentioned the banks and all that. It kind of reminds me a little bit of the trailer uh, for Money Monster. You know, the idea that the banks are seen as something that's completely evil and unsung. Yeah, funny. They came out in the same year. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, final, final film uh, that I watched this week was uh, Captain Fantastic. Okay. I, I'm not sure how widely released this one is. I, I don't really keep up with that kind of stuff. I just watch what I see. It's a story about Figo Mortison. He and his six children and his wife uh, live out in a, in the forest in this sort of utopian alternative lifestyle that they've like shunned society and they've built this new life for themselves that kind of takes in a lot of the great readings of philosophers of of our time and before our time and uh they have this strict reg- regime where they kind of train you know that they self-educate and uh they they keep fit and they find their own food and live off the land and so on so it's kind of like this hipster dream <laughs> okay and basically the the plot of that concept alone would have been okay as a film but the real plot is that at the very start of the Figo Mortensen's wife uh, dies, kills herself uh, due to sort of bipolar depression. Okay. And him and the kids have to mount up and go uh, endure city living to try and respect her will and her wishes and how she wants to be buried against the wishes of her parents. And it's this clash between like how people interpret people. Right. Uh, as well as uh, a lot of messages about like uh, not so much these uh, ideals, you know, anti-consumerism and anti-capitalism and stuff like that. It's all there, but it's not really, it's not the point of the film. The point of the film is that this is like a a, a family story, you know, and a, a personal story about loss and, and endurance and and parenting and, you know, and, and hard choices and being fair. And God, there, there are so many great things about this film and I, 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 I've been struggling for days trying to think of what, all the ways to tackle my review on it okay uh needless to say i don't want to over overburden uh my criticism for it but i fucking loved this film okay i fought from start to finish i had a big fucking dopey smile on my face it just made 
all the right choices. I loved every character in it. I understood where everybody stood. Even the things that I could say, like, oh, that's a bit uh, uh, corny, I guess, you know, or, you know, that's a bit um, unnecessary, or somebody could interpret that, and that's going to be a little pointed and a little cynical. Uh, I, whatever. The point is that the heart of the film was so well-intentioned, and that these little things are just sort of window dressing in what is a, a really strong character story. I, it surprised me, even then I had no expectations. It was gorgeous to look at. And it was actually genuinely funny. The audience I was with, we laughed the entire way through it. Even though it was very sweet and at times surprisingly sad. The, the comedy kept it feeling real because real people joke and they laugh at these things. They try to make the best of scenarios. And the film itself is trying to make the best of its scenario. That that vibe, that like human nature of it was uh, just incredible. So anybody, if you have a fucking... The opportunity to see Captain Fantastic, just see it, man. It's like, don't, don't even stop listening, retroactively unlisten to me. Don't go in with expectations and then enjoy it. <laughs> I don't know. What, what Lee is saying is avoid passengers and go see Captain Fantastic. It's yeah. As simple as that. <laughs> it's, that's exactly it. You know, Captain, Captain, movies like Captain Fantastic need your money. Movies like passengers don't. <laughs> but uh yeah so that's that's what i watched this week shall we terminate we shall this conversation terminate this conversation <laughs> and, move, and on. move on and on that note i'm going to be queuing the terminator 2 trailer yes dun, 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 dun. god that'll be a flashback to some time before i was born enjoy that <laughs> <laughs> we'll be right back talk to you in a few minutes were taken at the West Highland Police Station, 1984. You were there. Same model. These were taken today. You have to let me see my son. He's in great danger. New mission. Once, he was programmed to destroy the future. What it's like to try to kill one of these things. Now his mission, get down, is to protect it. Come with me if you want to live. You're really real. His loyalty is to a child. Who sent you? You did. 35 years from now. And his enemy. He's a Terminator like you, right? Not like me. Is the deadliest machine ever built. Can it be destroyed? Unknown. This time, there are two. Terminator 2. You just can't go around killing people. Why? If you thought you had seen it all... Look again. Stay down! Go! Now! We gotta stick together! Arnold Schwarzenegger. Terminator 2, Judgment Day. This time, he's back. For good. Trust me. Welcome back, everybody, to the feature film discussion portion where we're going to be talking about Terminator 2 Judgment Day, a movie that came out in 1991 starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, Linda Hamilton, 
Edward Furlong and was directed by James Cameron. Lee, what did you think of Terminator 2 Judgment Day? Uh yeah, as 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 a as a as a general introduction, I suppose. What's what's to say? It's when when you're raised so young and this is like one of the first uh big blockbuster action films you're allowed to watch, it's hard to separate that nostalgia from the actual narrative presented, you know, the film itself. But I watched mm-hmm. it yesterday for the first time in maybe a year because I see it all the fucking time. <laughs> And, uh, but it was the first time I actually sat down and watched it start to finish and really fucking give it the time of day. And, right. Uh, man, it's, it deserves classic as a, as a moniker. It's just, even if you were to look at it purely objectively, it is bizarre. You know, it is a weird fucking film. But if you take away that objectivity and just look at it as a, an action film, or as I prefer to look at it as a comedy, it is non-stop fun, thrills, one-liners, brilliant visuals, super memorable characters. It's got everything going. There's no reason not to like Terminator 2 on some level. <laughs> yeah, I agree with you. To me, it is a classic, and it'll always be a classic. Yeah, it's it's the magic. It's the it's the it's the magic of movie making bottled. You know, oh, yeah. it's, it's got all all exactly. the things you want. <laughs> I, I, the movie to me is a very personal movie. Uh, it's um, a movie that my father took me to see in the movie theater. Yeah, uh, it wasn't the first movie I went to see in the movie theater, but it was one of those movies that I remember seeing the trailer on television and going like, "Wow, what is that?" <laughs> and I looked over to my dad and I was like, "Can we go see that?" And he looked over to my mom and my mom said, "Well, if you go with him, it's okay because this movie's rated R." And I was 11 years old when this film came yeah. out. Yeah, and. I remember my dad was like, all right, well, do you want to go tonight? And I was like, yes. (laughs) And I remember he got me popcorn. I think think we were with one of his friends, too, because my father used to uh, do a lot of martial arts when he was um, a bit younger. And uh, Black Belt, man, the guy's a ninja. is fantastic. um, Wow. And so that's it. I think one of the one of the guys one of the guys that from uh, from his his dojo uh, came with us. We sat down and watched this movie, and I loved the fact that I wasn't supposed to be there in the first place because of my age. Yeah, and I love the fact that my dad didn't care. I think my dad was just like, "Yeah, all right, the kid wants to see this." I like Arnold. I've seen the first Terminator. Let's see what the hell Arnold's been up to. And I mean, Arnold was on full swing at this point, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, Terminator. Then you got the, I think it was uh, Predator came out at the same year as the Raw Deal. And then after that, you had uh, like. Uh, Yeah, Total Recall. Arnold was everywhere. There you go, Total Recall. That was the one I was looking for. And um, I just remember sitting in the movie theater in complete awe of what the hell was going on screen. I remember <laughs> I remember how intense the sound, the Terminator's foot crushing the skull, like that first yeah, image, yeah. that like boom, that crushing sound. I remember it giving me a shock in my chest. That's how vivid that memory is. Brilliant. I was like, holy shit, what the hell is this? And then when the Terminator turns and he starts shooting at the camera, I was like, this is amazing. And so, yeah, I, I still watch Terminator 2 as the child I was. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was difficult kind of like, you know, as you grow up, you watch it again and you're like, oh, there's a mistake there. But I, I try not to pick it apart because I like the movie so much. Um, one thing that's always baffled me is I remember my father getting me toys. I had an Arnold Schwarzenegger toy I, and I had also the, the T-1000. Yeah. 
That that's, that's that it, was always a weird sticking point for me too. <laughs> it was it was odd to me because I'm like, how are they manufacturing toys for a rated R film that kids aren't even allowed to see? Yeah, exactly. Like uh, like I like Terminator Two. I must have seen it when I was like five or six because I I can't have been very old when I saw you know my cousins with Terminator Two toys. You know, <laughs> like you know, hanging around the room. They had the fucking that that action figure of uh, Arnie as the Terminator with half his face removed, you know. You yeah, know. that's the one I had. Yeah, that that one. Uh, that was that must have been huge because I like I know a number of people who knew at least knew a kid who had that toy, and my cousins were a bit older than me, but they had that fucking terrifying robot man there, and I knew already what the film was that it came from. So I mean, obviously, I seen this. At an incredibly young age, but I mean, right? And well, you know, I haven't killed anybody yet, so I mean, <laughs> it hasn't affected me too badly. <laughs> no, man. I mean, like to me, it was great because I could associate to the kid that was on screen, right? Edward Forlund's character, uh, you know, John Connor. Yeah, that and little bastard. Like, Holy, yeah. <laughs> at the same time, yeah, but at the time, it was really interesting to see how a child would interact in that type of world. Yeah, it definitely. You know, I could have my own Terminator. This could be my. This could be my body. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you could be mine. <laughs> but for the sake of the show, I wanna I wanna get into it to see a little bit of what, what's going on in Terminator Two. Yeah, it, it, I, I need somebody to be pointing stuff like this out to me because realistically, I sat down, I watched it all, I ticked a bunch of boxes saying like, yeah, they went for that theme, yeah, they went for that theme, tick tick. But um, I uh, I never really got to anywhere conclusively. I didn't really from that sitting. I was just like. Yeah, they tackle things, but at the end of the day, whoa! Did you see that line with the fucking your 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 uh, foster parents are dead? Whoa, that was brilliant. <laughs> well, I mean, at the heart of it, what what, what is Terminator Two about? About what robots <laughs> killing people. Yeah. I don't know. I've always I've always seen Terminator Two as a coming of age story. I got that. You know? Yeah, it's about the kid. Yeah, it's kind of learning a little bit about just... responsibility. <laughs> There's that. There's 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 Sarah as well who who matures. Yeah. And there's a Terminator that actually learns as well. If we take the closing line, if if the if the Terminator can learn the the the, the value of human life, then perhaps so can we. And so that means the Terminator actually went from being a killing machine to something that's that understands now why people cry. And so it's a coming of age story for the Terminator as well, right? It's yeah. kind of interesting. That, I, know, that you, I, I, I love that. Uh, you know what? It's kind of <laughs> in itself this idea. Uh, if if you tried to pitch Terminator Two, even though because that's that must have been how they pitched the story. Because like, I I was thinking about this watching this, how the fuck this film got made, how it got the budget it got, you know, how this became the blockbuster of the year it came out, you know. I was just yeah. trying to wrap my head around it, just like after Aliens Two, James Cameron must have had all the fucking money in the world, maybe, but even still, he has to be greenlit by somebody, and when. Somebody says, okay, I want to take the concept of the Terminator. I want to make it into like a, a kind of comedy. And also, the, the you know, the Terminator is going to be a good guy. And he's, we're going to team up with a teenage kid and they're going to, they're going to be bam, bam, bam. We're going to shoot down police copters. It's going to be a new Terminator. It's scary. It's going to sell toys. It's like, wow. I don't know, man. I mean, James Cameron. <laughs> it sounds I like a parody. The... You know, it sounds like a parody of the first Terminator. It sounds like a parody of sequel ideas. But it it works. It's brilliant. It's 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 something that could have only have happened in the fucking early nineties. <laughs> I'm e- I'm eager to I'm eager to see how you break this down as a comedy because I've never ever 
even thought that it could be a comedy to me i've always looked at it as you as, have to be this is, this it's is, one of the funniest no, films I, ever I, made. I, listen Ned, <laughs> i i'm the kind of guy that sits down to watch horror movies which i never do because to me i'm like oh that can be real life. And when I watch Terminator 2, I still have that approach where I'm like, okay, I have to be prepared. There's going to be robots from the future one day. I, what well, the fuck? <laughs> I agree. That so, it's definitely a reading. It's definitely in there. And I, there's nothing wrong with that. But I mean, Arnold Schwarzenegger's performance in this film is like comic gold. He is like, for example, a really early character scene with him. He... Obviously, right, the the bar scene is brilliant, start to finish. Uh, He walks into the bar, he's a Terminator, he wants some clothes. The idea of that, the concept of that scene is brilliant, but also brilliant in the way it introduces a lot of the character's functions, a lot of his, like, a lot of his uh, invulnerability. You know, when he gets into this fight, we see exactly what he's impervious to by these bar guys. We see how exactly how strong he is. It's brilliant, Mm -hmm. it's brilliant setting the groundwork for us knowing where we stand with this Terminator. But right. at the same time, the concept of him walking into the bar and beating up a bunch of hicks for clothes, that's funny in itself, but it's the final, the final action that he goes up to the the, the, the bar owner with the fucking shotgun. He just swipes yeah. it off him. He just takes it away from him. And then, as right. if that weren't enough, and this is before his read-only mode is switched off, he takes the fucking sunglasses out of his pocket, puts them on, and gets on his motorbike for that cool shot and just drives away. Why? Why? It's just because it's cool? Just because it's badass? Yes, and that's okay. But it's funny. <laughs> it's brilliant. And it's funny, and we have to laugh at it because otherwise we take that scene seriously. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, you're right if you point it out that way. But at the same time, I figured, you know what? Fuck it. Right. I think the glasses... The, he needs the glasses because the last uh, the last time we saw the Terminator are on those photographs, and he's actually wearing those glasses. So it's part of the character. He's not going to walk around just with nothing on his face. So uh, to me, yeah. it was just an assembly of the character. To me, that scene is exposition. You get to understand what the Terminator is oh, about. It but it's also is. an assembly line, right? Yeah. It's yeah. him basically building the rest of the persona that he needs to have. Definitely. You're right. Absolutely. I, I, I get the context. It makes sense. But to me, it's just one of the... I mean, that's that's just the opener. I I have a, a a million and more funny things to talk about this film, but let's let's get into some real criticism. You you have some points to be making. I'll let you talk. <laughs> oh, it's not real points. I mean, to me, like when I'm watching a, a movie like Terminator Two, I I try to pick up on, on what what's going on at the time, you know, in the historical context and whatnot, and I try to compare it to this is this is the second movie, right? Yeah, and it's arguably the best in the franchise. I, if anybody, I think if anybody comes out and says to me, "Oh no, it's not," I'll be like, "Okay, we, we have to sit down and debate yeah. a little bit because Terminator is a fun B movie when you watch it and you're like, okay, it's it's attacking a specific theme. I mean, 1984, you're like the Star Wars project that was there, you know, the Russian ICBMs or sure. You know, there's all these technological things that are going on around the world, especially in the United States, where everyone's kind of freaked out about technology at this point. They don't know what the fuck they're doing with it. Um, And so it's on people's minds that, you know, technology can be used for real terrible shit. And to have that kind of uh, materialize and epitomized, if I may, 
in a walking death machine that is going to come kill you is kind of an interesting concept. It's like, okay, let's take everybody's fears and then like personify just, yeah. it in this robot. It's, it's amazing. I love, I, I think uh, something that people love about the first Terminator, besides it being sort of a short, perfectly executed uh, stalker horror film in itself as such. Right. Uh, just the idea that somebody took ran with the concept of personifying something as a giant, in, unkillable death bot that follows you around and stop to to make sure the future has no hope. I I what a concept. I there's a reason why the Terminator franchise still exists. It's because off the back of that one idea, you could tell a million hilarious or serious stories in whatever direction you want. Even making the story less about the the, the monster we create, but more the monster that we are already. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you know. Taming Frankenstein's monster. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and we'll be able to use these these technological advances in order to protect ourselves from technology. Whereas Terminator 2 tries to tackle larger themes, in my opinion, but he tries to look at it a little bit differently. You know, the idea of having a new generation of, of children that are going to understand technology and be able to build uh, lives around it and learn to manipulate it yeah. as well, right? So it's kind of interesting how Cameron decides to kind of uh, switch that around a little bit, kind of even subvert some of the motifs that he had created in the previous Terminator and try to go forward with that. I thought it was fun. In my opinion, this is where like James Cameron's themes um, or I should say motifs start to really yeah, take sure. shape. And I think that's what most of James Cameron's appeal comes from is that they're very distinctive and people can get attached to those things because they're like, this is clearly dark. This is clearly light. I'm supposed to accept light and not like dark. By by clearly distinguishing what even Terminator 2 kind of messes around with it, but uh, you know, telling us what the messages are, flat to your face, you know, that's 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 a huge step for James Cameron realizing what would work best for him in his career is just yeah. being being uh, surface level, you know. <laughs> he plays on people's beliefs and stereotypes. You know, when you walk into a movie theater, uh, people are going to be like, okay, they walk in with what they believe and how they perceive the world. And so Cameron, in order to kind of play with those notions, you can actually see the characterization in Terminator 2 kind of shaping up. Uh, we'd normally associate like the biker, you know, the biker image to crime and violence, especially given the bar scene at the outset of the film, right? And don't forget that people, he, he's also designing this movie uh, for the people that have seen the previous Terminator. So they're like, oh, it's the bad guy. In 1991, even the guys inside the bar, you'll have the tattoos, the long hair. And so then you kind of contrast that directly with the police officer who Cameron so funnily enough sets up where you see the, the, the car door pull up when he's going to see uh, John's foster parents. It says to serve and to protect right there. And you're like, OK, so the police officer is supposed to serve and to protect. So we have this biker guy who's supposed to be an enemy. He's searching for John. And then you'll have the police officer. So we're immediately put in a situation where we're like, okay, so the police is going to be the good guy and the biker guy because of the previous movie and because he was beating the shit out of the bikers, he's going to be the bad guy. And then Cameron twists that in the hallway scene, which is kind of fun because I love how he uses the hallway scene as this, this you know, we're like John. Do I go right or do I go left? We don't know yet. And John's in the middle. And so you're like, this is the only place, this very narrow hallway between the belief systems that we're going to be bringing into that situation. And Cameron, he literally uses the visual 
You can go left or you can go right. There's no other way to go. And I think that in Terminator 2 with that hallway scene, it shows us exactly how Cameron has used that trope to kind of populate the rest of his movies. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. You know, it's picking picking big two big things to fight off each other one at a time, yeah. cramming them into a corridor, making you pick a side, and that's pretty clear. That's a pretty good way of reading them. But I mean, it, I was just it was just a fun way of looking at Cameron's career and how he's built a career on using the same types of you know motifs. I think Titanic is the epitome of 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 Cameronness. I'll call it. Where you're going to have like the, the he actually plays it on social classes where you'll have the rich yeah. that is going to be mingling with the, the poor. poor exactly rich <laughs> versus poor, and it all culminates in the sex scene being completely juxtaposed against the iceberg. So you'll have the merging of the classes in a sense, you know, because yeah. they're both being bullied in a way, and then after that they're going to have sex. These people come together in this place where it's extremely hot. And then you contrast that with the antagonist, which is going to be the iceberg, which is completely cold, <laughs> right? So you have this hot versus cold going on, you know, and the cold is supposed to represent someone like the Billy Zane character who can't necessarily, he's immovable in his, his thought process. Thinking, I was, yeah, I was just thinking of uh, Billy Zane's character and it's like, well, there's the real villain. Maybe because yeah. he's a cold bastard who leads to but jumps onto a ship before women exactly. and children. What a prick! Exactly. <laughs> it, it, it's the it's the immovable object, right? It's the yeah, thing. It's the yeah. main antagonist. You know, the iceberg will be an outside manifestation of how Billy Zane himself can't necessarily be moved <laughs> to think differently. You know, and so it's oh, really. I just, really... I, just, I just love that that character doesn't have a name. You know, he's always Billy Zane. <laughs> yeah. And at the same time, I mean, if you look at how the iceberg is shot, you know, the idea that, you know, you'll have systems of classes, the, the, the one eighth is, is out and then the eighth is underwater. It's kind of interesting because the tears in the Titanic actually work that way as well. So I never thought of that, you know, and it seems like it's, it's actually pretty, you know, you know, in your face when you think about it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's it. But I mean, Cameron's a genius at, at using these images to, to, to uh, kind of uh, convey his messages i mean you were talking about terminator one being an allegory um i with this viewing of terminator i also picked up that this one might actually be an allegory as well did you pick up on anything as far as uh, uh something kind of prevalent in the story that's not actually really approached uh by the narrative itself there is this sort of prevalence of uh christian apocalypse that sort of just exists it's not What's interesting about it, at least as from a from initial standpoint, is that Cameron doesn't actually really approach it. Okay. As far as outright address it, you know, he he focuses more on like humanity as a whole, you know, and where where they stand and the decisions they make, you know. But at the same time, the film is littered with iconography and uh, and uh, and throw uh, like throwaway references to. Everybody's favorite uh, Bible uh, book, the fucking the Book right. of Revelation. Yeah, with the apocalypse <laughs> and all that. Uh, I'll, I'll throw, I'll, yeah, exactly. When we get to the apocalypse, I'll throw one out for one. Uh, the uh, the wonderful uh, the dream sequence that yeah, Sarah Connor has the movie. With, with the park. Yeah, yeah. And what's I, I thought like it was the first time I re- I I, I mm-hmm. caught on to this yesterday because i was paying attention but i mean it's an apocalyptic vision that's kind of plain sailing as far as that's concerned but also i never really caught on to 
of all the little uh, park toys to have, there are yeah. four horses. There you go. Very good. Which I, I thought was fucking hilarious. Uh, I, I mean, obviously, there's that whole death of innocence kind of thing going on with the park as a theme, and that's 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 cute in itself. But uh, I, I don't know. There was something that was there was something really fun about the idea of having these the four horsemen of the apocalypse burned to a crisp. Yeah, and it's great. I mean, the guy who was designing a set for that probably didn't even throw, tell Cameron. He just threw that in there. He was like, it was for some personal yeah, game or whatnot, have, but yeah, you know. it's great that you picked up on that because I was like, okay, I have it right here and now I can cross it off the list. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do go on. I, I, I want to hear well, some of the other uh, ones. It just, I, I tried to find in how they were characterizing uh, um, the individuals in the film, how they would have done it in order for us to accept the violence that's there. And it's kind of funny because what sure. I picked up on early was uh, the fact that John tells uh, the T-800, you can't kill anybody. And I was like, okay, that's kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah. He can't kill anyone. So he's programming him to do a specific thing. And if you look at the Bible itself, I thought it was kind of funny that, you know, John Connor's initials happen to be JC. And so I was like, <laughs> okay, so if John Connor is Jesus Christ and he's the, 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 the prodigal, prodigal son, son, the Messiah... Uh, so that means, does that make Arnold one of his disciples? In a sense, it seems to be that way. And it also turns sure. Sarah into a disciple as well, because she needs to protect this guy who's going to eventually be the leader of men the way that Jesus was as well. And so sure. I started looking up Bible references and I fell on one and it's, it's Matthew 19, 17 to 19. And I'll just read it for you just for fun. And then we'll actually be able to pick it apart and how it applies to uh, Terminator 2. Go for it. And uh, so it says here in Matthew 19, 17, 19, Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied. There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. I didn't bother looking who says which one. <laughs> he says, Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You should... Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, if John Connor is the Messiah and he instructs not to kill, then that turns the Terminator into a born again, which is kind of interesting when you get the imagery oh with that. <laughs> and, but it also kind of gives us that contrast I was looking for with the T-1000. Who kills who uh, impersonates, you know, he lies. Basically, he impersonates the uh, foster mother. So he steals identities. Yeah. Uh, and so, it, it, so ah, it's kind point. of interesting of it because it would be some form of adultery, but it also is the idea of dishonoring father and mother. Even if they're fake mother and father, yeah. it's dishonoring them as well. Um, you shall not steal. Well, he is committing identity theft. He says, hey, that's a nice bike. And he kind of steals the motorcycle away from that guy. <laughs> and, you know. Get out. <laughs> you know, so, but I mean. Steals a helicopter. <laughs> steals a helicopter. But I mean, the, the Terminator itself, the T-800, does steal as well. He steals a car and he steals a, a truck sure. at one point. But, uh, you know. Uh, but he learns how to use the keys, right? He's not just using his fingers to start things. And so we will have a Terminator who does the T-800, who does his best to keep the commandments. 
right? And it, it's kind of really epitomized in the scene where he says, I swear I will not kill anyone. <laughs> and then after that, he goes and shoots the, the security guard in the yeah, knees like, and he walks live. back to John. <laughs> and he says he'll live. Oh, you, you like, see, how could you not, how could you see that scene and not see a comedy, man? <laughs> like, but that, no, but that was, but I remember my father in the movie theater laughing his ass off. And I remember <laughs> going, why is he laughing? It's true, he'll live, you know? And so I see it as funny now as well. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the real robot? <laughs> <laughs> but that's it. So, I mean, there's a lot of those those uh, biblical allusions. Uh, allusions, sorry, it's not illusions. Yeah, yeah. Allusions true. in there. You know, if John Connor is going to be this Christ-like figure, so he's going to be a leader of man, like I said before. Uh, the Terminator uh, being a born again. And then you'll have Sarah. Uh, sh- I-, I won't call her Judas, because she does take it upon herself to kind of go kill Miles Dyson and go against uh, John's wishes. Sure. Right. So there is this idea of not necessarily believing. So I don't know if that's associated to Peter. You know, the idea that he's going to deny uh, Christ's existence until. But she's always been a believer in her son. He becomes a military leader. Yeah, yeah. But we'll get we'll get into Sarah a little bit later because I like I pointed out. I mean, I think she's an unreliable narrator. But it does kind of go against what John's trying to instruct. You know, if he's going to be a leader and he can't get his mother to to believe in him, I think that's where the movie has to go. And it's making her believe that John is actually going to be capable yeah. of doing these things and let him deal with it as opposed to go out and do things on her own. There's definitely there's definitely uh a lot of ways you can take that. I would like I don't know how much the the writers and so on have fought it through uh as far as the illusions that they specifically represent if at all anything you know right. it could be just throwaway imagery that kind of causably you know sort of connects just as we are sort of discussing it but uh there's definitely there's definitely a way to kind of play maybe it's more to do with the general nature of the bible and how it being basic allegories fits neatly around most narratives you know so like we right, can kind of yeah. we, we can see what we want to see in it uh, but you know, you're definitely, I mean, the, the JC thing definitely fucking that's uh, as well. I mean, the apocalypse stuff is, is plain as day. It's real testament nonsense. <laughs> you know, <laughs> uh, yeah. it, it's, it's fun to read, uh, the film in this way because it, it adds, I wouldn't say maybe layers of depth, but maybe layers of intrigue as to how to reinterpret what people can get from a certain film, you know, and it's interesting to imagine that Terminator 2, in some universe, is someone's favorite Christian movie. <laughs> that, Isn't that amazing, though? That, that to me, is, that's incredible. And if, if even uh, if that turned out to be intentional, that you know that they laid groundwork for that interpretation, so that uh, you know one of the most uh, prevalent religious sects of the world, uh, you know, can really connect with a film about robots massacring each other and, right. and all humanity. Fucking hell, man! James Cameron's way ahead of my fucking level. You know, he's way. We do not give but, him I mean, nearly as much credit bit. as he deserves. <laughs> yeah, it's there. I mean, I mean, even if you look at how John Connor is, I mean, his father is non-existent. The same way that Joseph kind of vanishes in the Bible as well, right? And so, sure. If if you go around and you tell people like, "Oh, I was, I, I had sex with a guy from the future, and I had this son." No one's going to believe you the same way as like the Virgin Mary. I mean, yeah, like, yeah. God, God, God did this, and you're there, like, there well, okay. That that illusion's definitely there, you know. You know, uh, so I mean, it's it's a bit. It could be a version of it, the same way that George Lucas tried to do it in the Phantom Menace. Sure, you know, the the idea of there was no father. 
you know, <laughs> we clearly know. And then she does make uh, a statement a little bit later when she's narrating the movie that like the Terminator could be, uh, you know, the father. It seems like it's the sanest choice to have him as a father, you know, and even yeah, like yeah. John has never met his dad either. Right. He's just this absent omnipresent thing that Sarah mentions occasionally. Sure. Right? Yeah, no, so exactly. I was trying to go through that and be like, oh, this is kind of neat, you know, that, that he's trying to create. There's this um, story of creation versus this apocalypse, the yeah, story yeah. of destruction <laughs> going on in Terminator to go with those contrasts that I laid down a little bit. Yeah, earlier. there's definitely there's definitely something there. Somebody, if they haven't written it already, should probably get on the uh, the, the Terminator as religious text uh thesis <laughs> oh i'm positive i'm positive it's out there i mean i didn't uh, bother looking it up form. you know yeah. so yeah 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 i mean I'm, this isn't anything new and i i don't even try to to you know i'm not even trying to say hey i'm i came up with this new idea movie's been out for 25 years <laughs> this apart. uh i i kind of picked up on something that like uh because we're talking about the apocalypse because we're talking about these people uh you know, making up history as they go along and time travel and whatnot. I, I found myself paying attention to uh, Sarah Connor's narration. Yeah. Uh-huh. And I thought it, it was... You know what? This is the first time, this sitting was the first time I ever really noticed it. I, I okay. also, I, like, I never really, I knew it was there, kind of. I knew she introduced the film, but no, I never realized that it's actually, it's not just one hit and then it's it's gone. You know, it's it's throughout every sort of major scene. But yeah, so I mean, like Sarah Connor is kind of an unreliable narrator. I'll just read the first, like the first narrative portion when when you see the the, the the car the the cars disappear and then she starts narrating when you see all the skulls. And it says three billion human lives ended on August 29th, nineteen ninety seven. Sorry, the survivors of the nuclear fire called the War Judgment Day. They lived only to face a new nightmare: the war against the machines. The computer which controlled the machines, Skynet, sent two Terminators back through time. Their mission to destroy the leader of the human resistance, John Connor, my son. The first Terminator was programmed to strike at me in the year 1984 before John was born. It failed. The second was sent to strike at John uh, himself when he was still a child. As before, the resistance was able to send a lone warrior, a protector for John. It was just a question of which of them uh, would reach him first. Now... I like that opening, but if I pay close attention to it, it takes the stakes out of the movie because if Sarah's around to narrate, then the mission was okay. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. Definitely. <laughs> and not only that, we see John on screen. There's no there's no real stakes because if you look at the movie itself, had they started with the young John, and you keep your stakes, but by showing him in the future, the future that... It's kind of shitty. It's probably a future they're trying to prevent, which is probably what someone's going to write in the comments section. Hey, dickhead, they're trying to prevent that future so that John... <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, no, I get true. it. I, I get the, it. The film doesn't lose anything by including snippets of the future that we're doomed to have. Yeah. But yeah, you, yeah. you're well, right. Uh, you, you're right about the Sarah Connor thing. She's not in that future. No, she's not. And that's it. And how the hell is she supposed to be narrating that future? That's the the fun part when I was like, okay, is this a figment of her imagination? I don't know. Uh, The second instance of narration is um, when they're in the desert. And so uh, she uh, says while she's, uh, I think she's manipulating a gun. She's fixing a gun at this point. She says, watching John with the machine when they're playing the high five. 
it was suddenly so clear the Terminator would never stop. It would never leave him. It would never hurt him. It never shout at him or get drunk and hit him. Or it'd say it was too busy to spend time with him. It would always be there. It would, it would die to protect him. All of, the, of all the would-be fathers who came and went over the years, this thing, this machine, was the only one who measured up. In an insane world, this was the sanest choice. And so this is Sarah narrating at present time. Yeah, yeah. And so That's you're right. like, okay, how the hell does that work with the beginning of the movie now? Because she's talking about something that was going to happen, and now she's talking about something that's happening. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of like, okay, how, how the hell does this work? I kind of thought that it could lend to an interpretation that Silberman was right in trying to keep Sarah locked in an insane asylum. Because if I look at how she's building the tension... We could interpret Terminator 2 as just this giant delusion and Sarah never really left the hospital. Yeah. And so I think it could be cool. You know, that that the, the one little key element that got me thinking was how the fuck did she spit the paperclip so close to her hand? <laughs> God damn them for making uh, interesting action to watch. You know, that's unbelievable. <laughs> There's like the robots and lasers and the fucking spaceship in the year 1997 you know but yeah. those those are totally believable but it's the fucking paper clip, paper clip. The, <laughs> that unravels this entire narrative it's a dream sequence <laughs> uh, i know i'm taking this way too far but i mean that's the idea it's just the idea that if i could put that idea out there just for fun you know that i think that there is a, a capable analytical framework that can be built around the fact that Sarah's actually just like making all this shit up and she's just still locked inside the hospital at Pescadero. I think it would make for a very interesting article to read. It's not something I want to produce, but I, if yeah. I can find it. I think it would be really interesting to see how this person has pieced up together uh, Sarah's narrative uh, because to me, like I said, it, it makes her a little bit unreliable as a narrator. Yeah. You know, yeah. and that that's script writing. I know it's script writing and we're not supposed to be paying attention to it. But those last two lines suggest that Sarah knows what's going to happen. That uh, plays well into the great fun of telling. Uh, it's it's something I, I, you know, I've always found endearing about stories is that the, the more we can interpret them in as many lights as possible, arguably the better told the story, you know. That we have the opportunity to to read these things in whatever fucking light we want, and still make yeah. sense of it all. They still have keep the narrative in place. They're kind of like math puzzles, as such. You know, you set up a series of events, and you try to get the best possible outcome using that series of events. That's kind of like interpreting interpreting narratives and and films in these certain lights to try and to try and reimagine them in certain ways it's a, it's a fun exercise it doesn't have to mean anything right but it no, keeps no, your no, head no. it keeps your brain turning it keeps you you know you you, you kind of it, it's fun to analyze what these characters might be if sarah connor made them all up you know that's fucking hilarious you know that's brilliant exactly that turns into another comedy <laughs> No, hey, I don't what know. turns I mean, it into a comedy? Yeah. Now, <laughs> let's turn it into a comedy. I want to hear this. Uh, I, I, I want to gush a little on the, on the character of the Terminator, the concept cool. of him in this film, the 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 machine that learns to love. <laughs> it's the Iron Giant. <laughs> yeah, 
<laughs> before Iron Giant, but you know, again, you could say it's kind of like King Kong or something. You know, there's plenty of fucking oh yeah, definitely yeah, immovable objects right. that learn to love. Whatever. <laughs> this character, this homo homicidal maniac machine. <laughs> The bonds of a little kid in this buddy comedy. I, 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 oh, it, it warms the cockles of my shrill, bitter heart. <laughs> I, uh, just the, the interaction between the two, the way he, little things like, like he learns colloquialisms. Yes, of course there's, a, there's an actual, a strong case like we can teach the machines to be human. Therefore, why can't we teach ourselves? It's 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 a it's a smart narrative enough that it it tells an actual story. It's not just jokes for the sake of jokes. But at the same time, you know, <laughs> we've got the fucking Terminator saying, you know, <laughs> dick one, you know, and the the, the the idea that the fucking that they turn this character that is so cold and so mm -hmm. obviously built up to be threatening, what we later find out to be a somewhat improvised line is, uh, you know. I need a vacation, you know. Yeah, like these these one-liners by the Terminator, they they paint a better picture of the character. He he feels human. He feels weird and oddly human at first. You know, <laughs> he feels like he's been programmed by humans to try and right. get along. He's not great at it, <laughs> but yeah. uh, past the physical comedy, he brings with the shooting the guy in the leg and saying he'll live, and uh, you know. That was brilliant. You know, beating up these street folks. You know, uh, uh, and and the fucking uh, my favorite scene, and my favorite joke, uh, is is the the phone call to the foster parents, which he's actually having with the T one thousand. Yeah, uh, Wolfie. How's Wolfie? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, Wolfie's fine, dear. Wolfie's fine. Your foster parents are dead. <laughs> he like, just he's so just cold and so curt about it, and that that's playing the. the <laughs> <laughs> the way he just, he has no filter when he tells the kid his foster parents are dead. Affirmative. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh man, that's just, that's just comic gold, you know. That's, they're just taking the piss. They're having a good time. But do you, do you know the reason why uh, they, they kind of made the Terminator more relatable in this one, though? To just oppose him to the other Terminator, who's totally unrelatable? <laughs> It's because of how Arnold's career was doing it at the time. Oh, yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, he was... They, they, he couldn't... He didn't want to be a bad guy. Yeah, yeah. And so he... they had to rewrite uh, a lot of the script based on the fact that Arnold was becoming very popular. Yeah. I think, actually, that was at the pinnacle of his of his career at this point. It, it makes... No, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, it, it, it even feels like the film switches from one script to the other. When they hit off yeah, the read only the, the the read only switch, and they you know he turns from kind of comic but true to old character Terminator Arnie, you know, with a with a different side to it, and they switch yeah. it to he literally becomes progressively more human as this film goes on. Oh and yeah, that's you know the, the, that they let the character the, that they write in that the character has a mode where he actually becomes human, becomes a likable character, and not just a one note machine. That's yeah. that's brilliant, you know, and also happens to work fantastically for our our enjoyment of the film because the characters have an arc, you know, the one character you expect not to have an arc, the fucking robot has an arc. Yeah. He becomes a character, you know, and informs the narrative. You know, it's 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 brilliant. It, it's it's genuinely good writing. Uh, yeah. Something that Terminator Two doesn't get enough credit for, you know, is that underneath it's on the nose 
in-your-face fucking allegories and so on, is a lot of clever character building. I mean, yeah. it. I, I would argue it makes a misstep with John Connor. Uh, he's okay. too unlikable. <laughs> At first, he is literally an unrepentant dick. <laughs> you know, he... He robs from fucking bank machines, you know, like, and I get where it fits in that he has this manipulation of technology. Fair enough. It plays into the overall theme of the story for his character, but right. as, a, as a human being that we're supposed to support, he is uh, detestable, you know? <laughs> his his yeah, attitude okay. to his, his foster parents is wholly unreasonable. Uh, he does sort of redeem himself. By actually checking in and letting them know that he's okay, even if they're dead, you know, there is a sort of redemption there on that side, but not nearly enough that the fact he kind of blows them off hard, won't take any responsibility, uh, and hates them for the sheer fact that they're, you know, his foster parents. Yeah. We never really get a strong conclusion to that that feels any stronger than, thank God he gets his real mother back, even if she's a bit of a crazy person, and they, the, the, their arc together is interesting. Definitely, you know, the way they progress into something of a real relationship after he, you know, outright doesn't trust her or like right. her. And she just can't be the the mother he needs uh, because she's dedicated to the cause of preventing this horrible future. You know, she's a soldier first, a mother second. Uh, yeah. Th th the way that they sort of, they unite that story to make that work, their relationship work, is a great story arc for them. But we never get any closure on how much of a prick John was before the action kicks off. So uh, he, yeah, but he's a whiny, mopey little shit the same way Luke Skywalker was, right? And the motivation that he needs to be able to leave home is the same way that his foster parents are dead, the same way his uncle Owen and Aunt Beru die, right? He'll leave with um, he'll leave with the Obi Wan character, which would turn out to be the Terminator, I guess, you know, and then they'll have to go get Sarah, which is going to be the true mother. So, I mean, these are things that we've already seen before. Yeah, I don't I get think that. it defends the fact that you're... Yeah, he is a kind of an they, asshole. They step it up in a way that... I mean, you, Luke Skywalker didn't steal, you know? Luke Skywalker... Yeah, yeah, okay. You yeah, know, I, he, didn't, I get you. he didn't make but, a point of being an asshole to his... He might have moaned that he didn't like his life. It's more about his life on that planet that he's, he's but against. It, but I think, yeah, but in the context of the time in which he was put on screen, you'll have... The, the whole other counterculture with grunge and all that stuff and, and I, hair metal I, I, coming to an end. So it fits in I get with it. I see where uh, kids teenager kind of that is going to be there. So to us, he might seem like a fucking asshole where you're just like, hey, shut the fuck up and I'll bitch slap you. But in, the, <laughs> in, in context of society, what we're seeing on screen is, is kind of the, 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 the beginning of a Dirty Harry type character. You know what I mean? Sure, yeah. Uh, no, I, I get that. I, I, I understand. It, it, may, it fits for his, how troubled he is, but I don't, think, uh, I don't think it really plays into his character as much as they initially intended. If he was going to be an asshole outright, we don't yeah. really pick up on it a lot. We don't really see any change there. He, kinda, he just continues to be the brat. In, in lesser forms yeah. as he goes on, but, you know, he's usually, from that point, pretty uh, understandable for why he's against his mother or the Terminator or the scenario, you know? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. But, you know, we never really address why he's such an asshole 
from the start, and that kind of lingers with the character. I get the counterculture thing. I mean, he is he's the he's the on screen version of Bart Simpson. I mean, there was a there, there, okay. yeah, there, there's, they, there's a comparison there of that time. For its time, maybe fine. Interesting, we have these characters, but in the bigger picture of things, the other characters hold up a lot stronger than he does. Okay, uh, yeah, and they're a little more timeless. Uh, in general, you know, Sarah Connors is still a, a fucking badass, you know. Uh, <laughs> the Terminator is still fucking hilarious and likable. And even even Dyson is, you, you totally get where he comes from, you know. You get why he's into this so much and you get why he acts back out. It's kind of, it, his own story himself is, is pretty tragic, you know. Yeah, I would love to see a movie... Uh, version from his perspective yeah yeah exactly i'd Um, watch him like computing for two hours to see what the fuck he comes up with i would love to see that movie well if you're talking about characterization then i want to just quickly put this to you and i want to see how you're going to deal with it sure i i would argue that the terminator in this movie is more relatable than sarah connor and they would have actually switched roles where sarah connor is more of a terminator than the terminator actually is yeah it's exactly comparable to maybe the first Terminator. I would imagine the point of the Terminator is that they are a soldier, you know? They exist to go out into the battles in the future and massacre the Resistance, you know? That's their deal. The Resistance, by definition, in this war is uh, full of soldiers, and Sarah Connor is the, you know, the prototype, you know, the, the original soldier against this cause. Yeah, exactly. And that's what's funny because she's always kind of distant. Even when John's around, she checks to see if he's still alive, if he's he's hurt or anything like that. Yeah. But at one point he tries to get her attention and see if she wants any fries and she's just smoking a cigarette. She's lost in thought. Then after that, when she uh, when the Terminator is actually repairing a car, he's literally fixing something while she's preparing a weapon, a weapon yeah, that's yeah. Going to take someone's life. So he is actually looking to repair and she is actually looking to terminate at this yeah. point right and so you have these ideas that they, they switch throughout the movie and that's why i think that the final line of the movie actually plays very interestingly in how sarah connor has developed as a person and when it says because if a machine a terminator can learn the value of human life maybe we can too she associates with people but at the same time i think that she is the terminator and the reason why she learns the value of human life is because she spares miles dyson yeah it's true she's incapable of taking his life she realizes at that point and that's where her arc actually kind of culminates because she becomes a protective force the same way as the terminator becomes a protective force towards yeah. john it's no longer about her it's alone it's about john himself and so her voyage as a terminator kind of ends when she puts the gun down she says shush 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 she decides not to destroy the family. But it's kind of weird because she switches back after that once the Terminator's finished taking his arm off and telling Dyson about Judgment Day. And then she's she's sitting on the table and she's gone back to her completely nutty self with the <laughs> hair in her face, smoking a cigarette. And she's just so fucking... She's an asshole to Dyson after sparing him. I mean, I find that little... It was misdirection, in my opinion. But really? did she go back into Terminator mode after that? Is there a, a, like was she idle for a certain time? That's I, I see the comparison. I would imagine is just that yes, she becomes a version of Terminator, much like there are two versions in this film that are plainly right. addressed. You know, but the point is that at the end of it, she is still human. You know that, that yeah. she can't take a life that ultimately destroys a family. Because then she's no better than the machines that are she's 
fighting against, you know? It, yep. It, it makes sense that she embodies a lot of what makes Terminators, what makes them great soldiers. But if she weren't somewhere closer to the human side of things, I feel the story would lose a lot of... I mean, if, if we had three machines all trying to learn what it is to be human... <laughs> we, you know, there, there would be a hard. The only one we would have left of root for was John Connor, and he's a prick. Right. T one thousand is definitely the 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 element that keeps the plot moving forward, and so that's why I think the exploration of what it is to be a robot and the exploration of what it is to be human is kind of put on again. I say like opposing spectrums where you're going to have characteristics that are uh human-like that are going to be lumped onto the to the terminator and then you'll have characteristics that would be cyborg-like or robot-like that are lumped onto sarah connor and then yeah. john's going to be caught in the middle trying to humanize them both again right to find the empathy that is going to actually bring these two people together to work to, as a force because we need these two elements in order to defeat the new threat. definitely yeah Right, so we're back again, in my opinion, at the hallway sequence at the beginning of the Terminator Two movie. Sure, yeah, you know? definitely, so, yeah. Uh, well, it's kind of an interesting thing. What about a throwaway summary line for this line of thought? You know, war makes machines of us all. I like that. I, we can keep That's, that. You could that sounds like it could be in a James Cameron film. It's so fucking in your face, <laughs> <laughs> on point. Ugh. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, there's definitely something there. Anyway, let's 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 do some wrapping up, some final quickfire thoughts. Oh, oh well, I I've seen this movie so many times that I can point out all the mistakes in it now, like in terms of editing and things like that. And I'll just name a few if you guys want to go out there and, and see. It's kind of funny when uh, when the Terminator is at the beginning of the movie outside the bar, the one that you talked about earlier, where he goes to get the sunglasses. Uh, there's a lot of editing. Uh, well, there's one editing error there, which is kind of funny because you'll get a front shot. Uh, you'll get the shot of uh, Arnold walking up the steps and then he releases the gun, like uh, the 12 gauge that he's holding. Yeah, yeah. And then after that, you'll have the reverse shot and he releases the gun again. And uh. it's kind of funny because you kind of <laughs> look at that there. Uh, one other little instance that's kind of interesting is, uh, uh, and I'll just use this one. I don't want to spoil anything else because it, it takes you out of the movie when you're trying to spot these things. Sure. Um, when uh, the uh, the uh, big van goes off the viaduct bridge yeah. to go get John, uh, it's really funny because the the shot is from John's. Uh, it's it's a wide shot. You see John in the foreground, and you see the van just kind of hit the bottom of the, the the well. I don't know what it is. It's I don't know if it's a, a ravine or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And um, you clearly see the windows of the truck just kind of burst out. There's no windows left on that truck. And then the shot itself is then a, a, a shot of John Connor reacting to that. And then you'll see the shot after that. And the windows are there. There's a bullet hole in one of the, win oh, the windows crack. <laughs> and you'll see Ro Robert Patrick just staring right out at John and John has to kind of go again. There's a few little instances like that. And you'll see kind of the, the shot itself. You'll see kind of the, the mannequin, the dummy crashing through the window at one point. It's kind of funny. Even, even in that fucking ravine shot, that, that, that same shot you're talking about, is the same one I think that you can see that like the stunt double playing. Uh, oh yeah, the stunt yeah. doubles three playing. Times. Like yeah, you yeah. see that like you're looking right at them and they're, <laughs> they're really not Arnold Schwarzenegger and fucking. Oh no, definitely the not. Kid the who wigs and all that. Uh, yeah, so I got a few uh, things. Uh, just uh, general praises and stuff. Uh, one is uh, the opening with the models looks fucking great today. Still looks amazing. That first that uh, that first Terminator we see with his little tiny skeleton legs and feet. 
Uh, oh yes, definitely. Yeah, he's creepy as balls. But even the fucking the model ships and the explosions and the interactions and the fight yeah, between yeah. the the resistance and the terminators, it looks incredible. I, 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 they clearly just had a fucking ball putting it together. It didn't even fit into the story. They just wanted to go like, let's make some action, you know? Let's do some space yeah, shit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, uh, it's great. I loved it. Uh, I have one little thing that I like to mention. I forgot to mention it during the recording, and I was like, uh, in terms of characterization to to show you like the Terminators, I, we were talking about this before the show, and I had mentioned that um, the way that they appear, the two Terminators, is oh, very yes. in, indicative of, of how you can interpret uh, who they are, yeah, or how they're built. So Arnold itself, the T-800, appears between two trucks, right? These two really sturdy type things, these heavy metal trucks, that are kind of going to be difficult to move. The Terminator himself, the T-800, is going to be a very slow-moving thing. It's going to be a very heavy thing. It's very heavy duty. And then when you juxtapose that on top of Robert Patrick's uh, the T-1000, he appears in the middle of a chain-link fence, which is something that's highly malleable, you know, and it, yeah. it kind of you know correlates to the the liquid metal aspect of him as well so I, you'll I, have I, this idea of sturdy versus malleability in where they appear in in, in the just film, really simple image fun. yeah no that's it's just a it's a simple idea you know their structure and their you know the base of the action that's going to be based around them that's just a cool idea i like that reading of it <laughs> so i don't know i don't know if they thought about it but anyway when i was watching it i was like hey look at that that's kind of interesting <laughs> so jason would you recommend terminator 2 to to, oh, I'm going to audiences. This, this, Terminator 2 to me is is a five on five movie. This is a classic. I mean, to me, it's just a fun childhood memory of mine. It's nothing that I'm going to. Uh, I'm not going to criticize it. It's on another level for me. Yeah, it's an yeah. untouch. It's an untouchable uh, film for me. I love it very, very much. It does, in my opinion, stand up as a Hollywood blockbuster. In the same lines as Jaws is a classic or something like that. It's just yeah. one of these monuments that stands out in film history. And it does stand out in film history as much as it stands out for me as a child walking into a movie theater and just being blown away by what's actually being portrayed on screen. It's one of those movies that you're like, oh my god, they can make this? This is what they yeah. can do? This is amazing. It, and so, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a brilliant way of thinking about it. You know, When it comes to cinema, what kind of wish fulfillment do you want? When you want oh, to yeah. see imagination recreated on screen, Terminator yeah. Two is a fantastic example of what can be done. Or a, a load of money to a bunch of batshit crazy people. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would be the same, man. Uh, purely subjective, of mm -hmm. course, in that it is a nostalgic film for me. It's one of the earliest big action films. Like I remember reading the the book on fucking special effects in primary school. Wow. Trying to learn how they made the fucking T one thousand, you know. So that was. It was a big deal to a lot of my childhood, I suppose, as far as films go. But, uh, I, you know, it's not a matter of giving it a score to me. It's just a matter of saying, should, uh, if you've never seen it, should you watch it? Uh, and it's just, I can't think of a person who shouldn't at least check it out. See, you might have your different thoughts on it. You might think it's too long. You might think it's too predictable. You might hate its preachy, preachy ass messaging. <laughs> <laughs> You yeah. might not find the action all that riveting. You might not think Arnold Schwarzenegger is a great actor, and you might think it's just a high-budgeted B-movie. Uh, and you'd be right in every regard, but at the same time, it's still just a marvelous cinema. It's one of those things. It's yeah, yeah, yeah it's just something that exists that doesn't exist quite as good in any other form and deserves to be seen and, and recognized as the classic it is. 
Uh, so, uh, I, you know, obviously, it gets an A plus if we're doing scores, but yeah, objectively, you owe yourself, I mean, if you're really one of the people who have never seen Terminator 2 somehow, then you really owe yourself a watch, but... Oh, if, yeah, definitely. If you I are... Don't care if I overhype it. Yeah, yeah, yeah what, 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 what much more hype can you do for a film that's 25 years old? <laughs> uh, yeah, but, yeah. I had, I had one last little thing for you, and I... Th- I thought it was. I thought it would be just funny. Uh, the late David Foster Wallace uh, was kind of ahead of his time in pretty much everything that he had been doing, and it's kind of funny because uh, after seeing Terminator Two uh, and understanding how, how, like all everything that the production had to go through in order to create uh, the T one thousand, because you brought it up, yeah, it was funny because I'm going to paraphrase what he said, and it was kind of funny because he explained basically. He says for a film that talks about people's over-reliance on computer technology. It seems somewhat <laughs> incapable of following its own message. Yeah, of course. <laughs> and I thought, I thought that was genius on, on, on Wallace's part to actually pick up on that and be like, oh my God, these guys spent so much money on technology, but the message of the movie is don't spend too yeah, much on yeah, yeah. time on technology. Don't, don't trust those cutting-edge <laughs> machines. <laughs> so anyway, my name is Jason Michael. You can find me on Twitter at film underscore faculty. I want to thank everyone who's been tuning in to listen to the shows if you guys would be kind enough to send us a a little review on itunes or interact with the tracks on soundcloud as as you've been doing so far i want to thank you all for doing that if you guys could give us a review that'd be great as well and i'm going to put that over to lee you can find me at film faculty like i said follow me there i love interacting with you guys and uh that's it uh lee and yep you can find me on at big picture reviews on twitter uh and also you can check out uh my website bigpicturereviews.co.uk uh We've got a we've got a new review. Uh, uh, our writer Darren he uh, he did a review of Hunt for the Wilder People. You know that's something I haven't seen. Won't be able to talk about on the show. So if you want to see some interesting reviews that uh, you know we're not going to touch on, uh, there's stuff there for you. Uh, again, I'd also like to say thanks to everybody who's been sending me messages and so on about the show and about uh, just everything. Uh, they've been super uh, uh, accepting of us in this in this critical circle and also it's it's been pretty good yeah i I really appreciate that because we're i'm at base level uh uh, you know effort here so i appreciate it (laughs) i'm getting by on this (laughs) so yeah i i I will also jason does a good job being the hype man and uh saying check out the show and all but i'll i'll put in my two cents do uh do look us up on soundcloud and leave a comment and if you disagree with any of our christian allegories Please, please, please <laughs> say something about that, because I would fucking love for a somebody to to know better, because I am not Christian for a start. <laughs> so, <laughs> and 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 b good at working out these allegories. So <laughs> having hey. having a little input would be wonderful at this point. <laughs> Tell us what you guys thought about Terminator Two. Is it a classic? Did you guys see it when you were kids? Did you watch it last week? You know, we really want to know what you guys Absolutely. thought about the film. And about this podcast, and you're right, I want to thank everyone else who's been kind of been really nice. They've been including yeah. us in the group. All right, so that's it. That's enough. We have nothing else to say. We want to wish you all a good and happy day or night or afternoon, depending on what the hell you guys are listening to this. We love you all. Thank you very much. And that's bye-bye from me. Thanks, guys. Take care.
this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. <laughs>